Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Among the endless catalog of songs that extol the virtues of love, we call them love songs, or expresses a great desire for love, or describes the experience of love realized, are a few uh, off-color versions of the love song genre. Song with lyrics like, you give love a bad name, or this love has taken a toll on me, love is a battlefield, or I hate myself for loving you, or simply, love stinks. These don't sound much like the Apostle Paul's famous love song. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And while this is beautiful passage, Paul forgets to point out the pitfalls of love, how dangerous such vulnerability can be to our fragile hearts. Maybe Paul should have made room for more description like love is patient, love is kind, and sometimes love stinks. Unrequited love songs. I think it's almost universal to be familiar with the kind of pain that these anti-love songs speak of. We felt betrayed. We felt used. We felt stupid. We felt empty, out of balance, having been given, having given without receiving. And although the song I mentioned before tends to deal exclusively with romantic love, the danger of a broken heart is not exclusive to romance. Familial love is just as dangerous when a loved one is hurting or pushes you away. It hurts. When a best friend is self-destructive or turns on you for trying to help, it hurts. If you understand any of this, then you understand Jesus, the mother hen, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood together under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not li- willing. Love hurts. This is a strange scripture passage to me. It starts with Jesus encountering some Pharisees on his way to Jerusalem, and the Pharisees try to scare him off. Jesus, you better get out of here. Herod has it in for you. But there is some debate about whether the Pharisees really have Jesus' best interest in mind, if they had really heard this from Herod, or if they're just trying to 
keep Jesus out of Jerusalem and his troublemaking ways. Either way, their intention is to frighten Jesus away. Herod had killed Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. So Jesus knew in a personal way that Herod was capable of what the Pharisees were warning. As I mentioned before, Julie's been reading my D-Men thesis, and it has to do with uh, fabricated figurative stories that we use in preaching, and I do a lot of looking at fables, especially Aesop's fables. So when Jesus calls Herod a fox, it, it, it triggered something in me. Jesus knows that Herod is a fox. When we think of those famous ancient Greek fables of Aesop, the fox is a recurring character of sorts. He's greedy. He's scheming. He defers to the strongest predators, the lions and the wolves, just like Herod defers to the emperor. But foxes are dangerous, leading many to their doom, or trying to anyway. In Aesop's world of fables, friendship with a fox is a sure way to lose your life. Remember, Herod counted John the Baptist as a friend of sorts before he had him killed. The puppet king Herod fits the fox moniker to a T. So Jesus, understanding Herod's nature, gets worked up. You tell that fox, he says, you tell him I won't be stopped from my plans from healing and casting out demons. And then the time will come, but not before I get to Jerusalem. And then something catches his mind, like an old smell or an old song that transports you to a memory. You know what that's like in an instant. And suddenly, he's no longer really talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the air or some picture in his mind. He's talking to his beloved. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I desired the energy and the fire that he had for Herod melts into sadness and brokenness at the thought of Jerusalem, at the thought of his beloved people. At this point, let's rewind a little bit. Earlier in Luke, Jesus stands in front of a crowd and proclaims, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Loving your enemies is one of the most popular tenets of Christianity. It's one that you learn from an early age. Love your enemies. You learn it when you're five years old and then you spend the rest of your life either ignoring it or trying to figure out how to do it. Some of you may have read the Wendell Berry novel, Jaber Crow. It follows the life of a man who abandons his plans to become a minister and lives his days out as a barber in a small town in Kentucky. His whole life, he's fascinated with and struggles with the idea of loving one's enemies. When World War II breaks out and nationalism is in an all-time high, Jaber remarks, I was glad enough that I had not become a preacher and so would not have to go through the war pretending that Jesus had not told us to love our enemies. And later, during the Vietnam War, Jaber's own nemesis sits in his barbershop complaining about people who are protesting the war. 
They ought to round up every one of them and put them right in front of the communists. And then whoever killed who, it would be all to the good, he says. Jaber stops cutting hair, looks at the man in disgust, and simply says, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them who hate you. The man indignantly asks, Who said that? Jaber says, Jesus Christ. The man can only respond, Oh. Even though Jaber is able to sing the song of loving enemies, he goes almost his whole life without being able to love this man. And it eats him up inside. As I continue with my own lifelong struggle with loving enemies, I notice something new from the scripture for this week. I've always thought that this enemy-loving relationship only went in a progressive direction, that you start off with a grudge of some kind or an irreconcilable difference with someone. Then you say to yourself, oh, I should love that person. She's my enemy. Then you find ways to love the person. There's a progression there. But Jesus teaches us that sometimes it doesn't go that way, right? Sometimes your enemy is someone you already love. Sometimes it's the one you love who breaks your heart. And then love your enemy has a different new kind of depth. Jerusalem was clearly going to be Jesus' enemy. He is going to be killed by the powers there. And yet Jesus loved them from the beginning and never stopped loving them and their anger toward him. Paul's letter to the Philippians also shows us something about love for enemies that Raina uh, read a little earlier. Even as he writes about what he calls enemies of the cross of Christ, he writes with tears for them. Knowing that a life of slavery to selfish desires leads only to destruction. Paul's tears display his love for his enemies And it isn't just a mental exercise for him, is it? He doesn't just tell himself, I love my enemies. He really feels it. He feels it deeply enough to weep. And so here we are in the season of Lent, second Sunday of Lent, waiting for the one who comes in the name of the Lord to ride into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he comes with a wing outstretched, ready to gather us to himself in love. And we can't help but play the role of the enemy, the heartbreaker. It is so much a part of who we are to seek our shelter under the cold wings of idols or hatred or indifference, or greed, or selfishness, while Jesus continues to sing his unrequited love song, Atlanta, Atlanta, covenant, covenant, Davis, Davis, how often have I desired to gather you children together as a hen gathers her brood together under her wing. And Paul crosses his fingers hoping that we can break free of what he calls the God of the belly, 
that we can break free of worshiping self-interest long enough to hear the song of the mother hen, to take shelter under her wing of unconditional love, and to make space for everyone, everyone, to come near to the love of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.